Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. This week's marks the centenary of Federico Fellini, one of the greats of both Italian and world cinema. There's a lot of exciting things going on to mark his 100th birthday, as well as some rumors and possibilities on the horizon. Joining us today to talk all things Fellini are two first-time guests, David Blakesley and Josh Hornbeck. Hey! I'm glad to have you guys aboard. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. Both of you also have shows um, concerning film. Um, if we, each of you would like to introduce yourselves and describe a little bit about what your show is about. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the uh, senior of the bunch <laughs> as far as podcasting is concerned. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is David Blakesley. I am the host of the Criterion Reflections podcast, uh, which has been in a, one form or another. It started off as a blog back in 2008, 2009 and uh, became a podcast, I think, back in 2017. And what I've been doing really quickly is kind of a chronological uh, exploration of the Criterion Collection in, in the order that the films were originally released. So back in 2009, uh, right in January of that year, I started with Nanook of the North, and I've been kind of plodding my way through ever since, writing essays for most of those years. And then, like I said, in 2017, I... I was at the year 1969, and I just felt, hey, let's go ahead and do this in podcast form. I'd been doing another podcast for a while called The Eclipse Viewer that went through the Criterion Collection's Eclipse series of films with my good friend Trevor Barrett. We kind of came to the end of that as they uh, stopped releasing new Eclipse series titles, and so Criterion Reflections has been my podcast. I'm currently in the year 1971, and basically each episode is me and one or more guests taking a look at one film uh, occasionally we'll do more than one film like we just did one on three science fiction titles that were released in 1971 uh, but for the most part we just take a look at one film and get into it and so it's pretty eclectic but it's very much based at this point in films of the 1970s and we are right in Fellini's uh, some of his prime years and we'll be getting into some of the reviews I've written but yeah basically everything that Fellini's released in criterion related formats i have either written about or podcasted about and that's what i do great that's awesome uh i'm josh hornbeck and i host the criterion channel surfing podcast and uh i basically take a look at the criterion channel and we will look at the new and expiring titles each month and then give a couple recommendations based on a given theme so david was actually just on and the episode should post pretty soon and we will we looked at police stories and so each of us took a couple of episodes or a couple of films from the criterion channel's back catalog and gave some recommendations for films that we thought were interesting that people might not have thought about or maybe overlooked and discussed those so it's a fun fun show uh, i also have bring on a couple of regular contributors michael hutchins and matt gastire who are familiar to people who maybe frequent the criterion facebook groups and they give some tips and tricks and some stats about the criterion collection and the criterion channel so it's a monthly podcast and uh, it's been a lot of fun i've been going since october and it's been really really a pleasure to to work on the criterion channel surfing is really fun to keep up with especially with literally hundreds of titles it seems like 
And your podcast is such a great way to kind of navigate through all that around what are the things expiring soon that you can't miss or what are some great underseen titles to keep an eye out for. Um, so you're doing a lot of good work Thank there, you. Josh. Uh, and to David's podcast, we got to speak about it um, a little bit in person a few months ago. Um, but I, I, love, I love it as a listener from the perspective of as I work through the Criterion Collection, it's almost like this library or archive of different kind of conversations and analyses to visit um, looking back. So even if you don't keep up with every single episode as it gets published, you know, the conversations and discussions you have are always there as a great resource to go back and listen to. Um, I actually just listened to your Fellini Satyricon episode today. Um, oh, thanks. I loved yeah. it. It was perfect to kind of mm-hmm. get jazz for today. Yeah, yeah, and I and I do. I I'm pretty aware of the fact that you know a lot of listeners, even maybe people who enjoy the program, may not listen to a particular episode until they've had a chance to watch it. And unless they're really locked into the same chronological scheme that I am, you know, people are gonna, you know, maybe you know, uh, come back to it even several years later. And and there's nothing I love more than getting, uh, you know, a, a feedback via Facebook or Twitter or even an email from somebody who listened to something I I put out three or four years ago and says, oh, that was a great episode. It's like, cool, because I, <laughs> I am kind of making this as something for, you know, for the archives, uh, hopefully a, a reference piece that listeners can enjoy whenever they get around to watching the movies that I and my guests uh, discuss. So uh, that's exactly what it's there for. Kind of the transition to um, Fellini, you know, of course, he's a huge giant of world cinema and definitely Criterion Collection, um, which is in our wheelhouse. Um, but I love hearing what is how do you first approach a director like this? What is your gateway and how do you get into him? Or do you even get into him? Does it take a few tries? Um, so I kind of love to hear each of your introductions to Fellini and maybe what your first reactions were like. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and start again. Uh, my first awareness of Federico Fellini came as a, as a kid. I mean, I remember in the 60s, I was born in 61, just to kind of you know, give that away. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a, a cultural figure. He was a, a, a big personality and, and anytime Fellini made a movie, it was an event. Now, you know, of course it was not, not until I was an adult that I saw any of these because, uh, they didn't let kids into Fellini movies back in the day. But I, in fact, uh, you know, but I remember like from Mad Magazine and, and even a, actually a very clear memory of reading a, an interview that John Lennon gave in 1971. I probably didn't read it until I was a teenager myself later on in that decade. But uh, in an interview that he gave with Rolling Stone, of course, this is after the Beatles had broken up and his uh, Plastic Ono Band, I think, was his current record. Um, maybe it was 1970. He he mentioned, uh, there's a quote that he gave about the early Beatles tours when they were a touring band in the first half of the 60s uh, being exactly like Fellini Satyricon. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and, and, and that, that image really stuck with me. Even though I had not seen the movie, I just had this... Uh, mental picture of this kind of bacchanalian wildness you know this squalor and splendor and and you could imagine the beatles on tour must have been a pretty wild scene right Mm -hmm. (laughs) despite their squeaky clean image when it got down to it they uh yeah they just cut loose and and it was just a traveling uh festival uh, a carnival wherever they went and and so to hear john lennon making this this allusion or this linkage to Fellini kind of burned that that impression into my mind. So it was quite a few years later before I finally saw Satyricon, but 
I think it lived up to the hype. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but then and then uh, later on in life, as I started kind of getting into world cinema, I think Eight and a Half was my first Fellini film uh, that I sat down and watched seriously, and was was really struck by it. But I, you know, I think back now, I said had so much to learn, and that particular film, I think, is one that even though it might be a lot of viewers' first introduction to Fellini, there might be a few others that Dolce Vita, um, that, that might get first in their list. But I, I really feel like to fully appreciate and understand Eight and a Half, you really would do best to take that journey uh, of his earlier films and how he got to that point. But, uh, you know, it's a black and white film and all of that. Maybe the color films, Amrecord. Uh, Juliet of the Spirits, those might be a little bit more accessible uh, or might be a little bit easier for you know, contemporary or younger viewers to get into just because they're they're quite spectacular. But uh, Eight and a Half was kind of my gateway into Fellini as I was also just kind of discovering the Criterion Collection and, and Art House Cinema in general. Um, yeah, so that was basically how I started. And I'd say probably Eight and a Half is still my you know keystone work for Fellini. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's kind of the 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 portal that reveals so much else about what he did both before and after. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about this centennial commemorative event because I I feel it's going to give a lot of us a chance to really um, take in a more of a comprehensive view of his of his career um as as i've kind of already mentioned i've i've been kind of working my way through his catalog and so other than amrecord i haven't really seen anything of his past that 1971 point in the timeline and i know there's a lot yet to be discovered and a lot of titles that are not currently uh, affiliated with criterion you know, he seemed to sort of have a falling off of, of some sorts in the latter stages of his career. But I, I feel like there's probably a lot to be discovered and appreciated there. Um, maybe I'll have more to say about Fellini and, and what he means to me. I don't want to go on too long, so I'll kind of hand it over to Josh. Yeah, you know, I, Eight and a Half was also my first experience with Fellini. I was working my way through Roger Ebert's great films list at that time and just kind of picking random films that he was recommending. I think I had tried to work my way through the AFI top 100 films as I was just starting to get into better cinema at the time. And I found that Roger Ebert's great films list gave me a little broader scope and it started introducing me to a lot of films in the Criterion Collection because every time I'd pick a film from the, the great films list, you know, about eight times out of ten, there would be that Criterion logo that would pop up. And eight and a half, I don't think I was quite ready for it when I saw it. I was still just beginning my journey into art house cinema and into foreign film, especially at that time period. But there was something really intriguing about it. Uh, so it was really Knights of Kiberia that did it for me, that really helped me click in with what Fellini was doing. And Knights of Kiberia just blew me away. And uh, when I revisited Eight and a Half, uh, I really was finally able to click in with what Fellini was doing. Uh, but uh, I think those two works together really helped me uh, get into Fellini and uh, really approach his work. And those are the two works that really helped me solidify my love of 
this period in European cinema, this period in uh, art house cinema, I think even more than some of the greats like Bergman and Kurosawa, I think uh, Fellini was a really important filmmaker for me on that journey. That's a really unique perspective. Like I, I love Knights of Kiberia, but I I never hear that as like the one that clicks for people for getting them into Fellini. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's, I've, um, I'll just think about that more. Uh, I just I didn't discover Knights of Kabir until kind of late in my mm. Fellini lifestyle. So I'm curious how I would have reacted to it if I had seen it earlier on. I, um, I'm kind of curious. I mean, what is what is that. your own connection to Fellini? Uh, you know, and and how deep into his catalog have you gone and and uh yeah yeah even what 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 is the inspiration for even this episode we're having today yeah um so fellini has out of all you know art slash world cinema fellini's probably been in my life longer than any other director you know international films um when i was a kid my dad got me into the broadway musical nine which was based Hmm. off eight Mm -hmm. and a half and I and the musical itself is also kind of surreal, free form, and how the story flows along. So I remember listening to the music of this adaptation of the movie, thinking, "Gosh, how on earth could this work as a movie? This is a weird musical as it is." Um, and sure enough, as a kid, I saw Eight and a Half, and it was mm. weird, but I really liked it. And um, when I got the DVD, I think that was my very f- that had to have been my very first Criterion Collection movie. Mm. So I saw the spine number and wondered, like, what does this even mean? Um, and then that was just kind of my gateway into La Dolce Vida and then gradually kind of filling the gaps from that era of his career. Um, I'm definitely not a Fellini completionist yet. Um, I've got a long way to go, but hopefully there'll be a big, beautiful package in the future so I can, uh, catch up on everything else. I think he's very deserving of it. And yeah, yeah I, I talked a little bit about the speculation, uh, Ryan Gallagher and Aaron West and I did a new year's day episode where we kind of deciphered the wacky drawing clues that criterion always puts out at that particular you know beginning of a new year and the fallen e uh along with three other uh you know little pictogram uh, clues hinted at uh four significant criterion collection box sets to be released sometime this year and we're already through the april calendar and none of those big box sets have uh, transpired quite yet uh, so looks like the next eight months of the year, uh, May and beyond, may be full of some <laughs> delightful and somewhat expensive surprises. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I am really looking forward to it. You know, we've already mentioned uh, Kurosawa and Bergman. Uh, really, you put Fellini in that same kind of high trinity of the Criterion Collection. Those really are the three tentpole directors in my opinion uh there are of course many others uh that have been there and have are very well represented but i think those three are kind of like the pinnacles of you know world cinema art house cinema however you want to call it um and for good reason but i I think in some ways fellini's been a little bit i don't know if you want to say neglected or maybe not fully appreciated uh yeah there's a certain stylistic thing maybe he's not quite as in vogue because of his extravagance and the the lushness and the you know the very personal idiosyncrasies of his kind of filmmaking it may not be as fashionable in some ways but i i feel he's really ready to be 
discovered or rediscovered uh, by people who've either taken them for granted or just haven't made the acquaintance yet. And I think this is the perfect year and occasion for it. So I'm pretty excited at the prospect of a of a hopefully definitive, uh, you know, comprehensive career defining uh, special edition release. Well, and I wonder too whether you know because his films seem so extravagant and because there is that that more comic edge to so many of his films i wonder if people just don't take him as seriously as the bergmans and the kurosawas and you know i i i think that there is the carnivalesque quality to so much of what he has done and uh yeah, I just I wonder if there is that sense that you know Bergman was excavating the depths of the human soul, and and I I wonder yeah. if it's just it's because what he, Fellini was doing was so different that people just don't don't hold him in the same regard, and yet I think that what Fellini is doing is so incredible in its own right and in its own way, and again I think. You know, I, I look at Knights of Kiberia, and to me, it was an essential film for me in my journey into really connecting with this art house cinema, especially this post-war cinema from Europe, where you have in this society that has been completely decimated by World War II. You have these people who were people of faith that have been absolutely ravaged by the horrors of war. And yet there is this deep hope, this deep faith that life can go on yet. They're willing to acknowledge the terror, the horror, the, the trials and tribulations of, of everyday life. Uh, And there's something so profoundly moving about that film that, Every time I see it, I'm in tears by the end, and yet it's not the sentimental uh, stuff that you get in kind of saccharine melodramas that you might get uh, in other in other films at this time period. There's something really deeply honest and human, and and genuine. And Fellini earns the emotion that he he gets to uh, by blending the the comedy with the rich humanity and uh so yeah i think there's i think there's something that he is doing that is no less profound than the stuff that you get in the bergmans and the kurosawas so yeah i think that it is incredibly powerful and uh rich so yeah i think that he's definitely deserving of the the full fellini 100 treatment well yeah and it's kind of that excuse me blending of like the tragic with the comic is i feel like what is so definitive to him in in the sense that um You know, you can, you know, whether it's like Knights of Kiberia and looking at people who are essentially on the dregs of society and how do you put someone, how does a character go through hell but come out smiling? And how does someone still find hope and optimism even though they've been through it? Um, And there's this sort of, there's almost like a flame or some kind of spirit that I feel like carries through his movies. not like they're necessarily feel good, but there's always, you know, the human experience is a complicated one and it, it shows the full. Yeah. I mean, I think there is truly a a redemptive quality that comes through. It's, it's the, you know, laughter through the tears or it's the poignancy that, 
you know invokes a note of seriousness and and even tragedy uh despite the kind of playful lampoon of you know catholic guilt and repression and and family life and the quirks of society and in the individual eccentricities of the characters who live in it um and i guess one of the reasons i like to encourage kind of more of that you know chronological journey if not strictly you know start at at variety lights and work your way Mm -hmm. forward but getting familiar with fellini's early neorealist stuff is i think really key so that you don't just write him off as this kind of you know clownish you know stager of of spectacles because it's very easy to just take that away if that's all you see if you just see the the big parades and the you know the processionals and the the extravagance of his later films uh then you think well you know he he's just kind of putting on a a big absurdist show well there's a reason that he went in that direction and part of it is uh, his own tendencies that he followed us also the audience that he cultivated and and the way that his reputation and the press kind of pushed him further and further into that but i think following him on this journey from very reality-based every man every woman type of situations that were (laughs) really drawn from the currents of italian life and and really post-war european life just through that italian lens um really sets him up to make these films that i think have this more universal appeal even though they remain rooted in fellini's you know very uh, particular perspective but you know he he really was in the from the 60s on speaking to a a global audience certainly throughout the west and 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 probably other parts of the world as well uh his his films kind of explored and expanded the boundaries of what cinema could do because he was he was willing to give himself over and to putting his dreams and his half-baked notions on film and to to realize them quite brilliantly and uh and so what may look like just kind of bewildering self-indulgence and you can't deny that there's not that element there but he's 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 opening doors that i think a lot of other filmmakers are indebted to be who you know people like david lynch and and others who have taken their interior phantasms and nightmares and dreamscapes and said let me make a movie of of what i'm thinking and feeling and perceiving i i really feel like fellini was a real pioneer and and so much of modern cinema even if you don't trace the direct lineage uh it, it, you know the 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 artsy stuff that we really enjoy has its place has its even permission to do so largely because Fellini kind of broke those barriers well and i would even say that things that might even be a little more mainstream like wes anderson the the colors and the compositions but also that bittersweet tone that you get in so much of his films mm. the the wackiness the the melancholy and the comedy kind of being held hand in hand i think you get that from the fellini as well i think that you know 
while it's not exclusive to Fellini, I do think that he is a master of holding those two tones in perfect balance in every in in so many of his films, from La Strada and Ivadolini to uh, Knights of Kiberia. I mean, so much of what he does is is holding those those things the the extravagance and the the comedy in in balance with the the absolute despair of the characters and uh and i think that we see that in some of our our great art house comedies of today for for me kind of where i see a lot of fellini's influence with modern directors is kind of in the sense of like of his dream logic and surrealism um you know, we were mentioning Satyricon earlier, but where, you know, images and scenes and vignettes will be presented together that might not make linear narrative sense, um, but you still kind of emotionally or subconsciously can piece it together and can follow that through line. Um, and I think of that with directors like David Lynch, um, certainly with Twin Peaks, The Return, an 18-hour movie with all kinds of things that may or may not be connected but when you watch it you just totally follow it even if it might not make sense in your head mm-hmm. um and interestingly david lynch and um fellini have the same birthday which i forget about every year until <laughs> that is that is a pretty both. fascinating little coincidence there yeah and and also just from the perspective of just kind of balls out go for broke filmmaking <laughs> i mean the sets that fellini constructs uh, are amazing in the the pre-cgi era the, the the just the powerful memorable unbelievable images that he puts on screen and the constructions of of huge city blocks sometimes uh kurosawa had this in common as well of uh you know sort of really putting a lot of craftspeople to work just constructing the platforms upon which the actors would would uh, do their thing uh, that that's also just a very impressive sort of production value the fact that he was able to to corral all of these creative talents and resources to to make these things appear on film uh, it's it's easy to maybe take that for granted or to overlook that because we're just so used to being dazzled on screen, but he really <laughs> had a very remarkable talent, and in some of his interviews, he he almost seems to stagger under the weight of realizing, "Wow, I really put all that together." <laughs> As he's looking back and re- recalling some of his memories of making hmm. these films, um, you know, he really was in so many ways flying by the seat of his pants. And uh, again, that's maybe why I go back to eight and a half, uh, as you really catch him in this kind of crisis of creativity and pressure, the the commercial uh, responsibility to return the investment and to you know give the public something that they just haven't seen before, and and it's all being dredged up out of his own you know uh, unique. Um, personal struggles is his own conscience his his experiences his you know his insecurities all those things uh he is an extremely vulnerable uh but profoundly talented person and the fact that he just sort of gave so much of himself while yet retaining a lot of uh 
privacy and and preserving the mystery of who is this guy anyway? <laughs> Why is he doing all this stuff the way that he does it? It's it's quite fascinating. And <laughs> and one thing I look forward to in a potential box yeah. set is hopefully a, a nice book that uh, captures uh, a, a good uh, amount of quotations and interviews because he was an, an absolutely fantastic interview subject. Uh, there's a lot of great directors who maybe didn't have as many interesting things to say or didn't say what they said quite as interestingly as Fellini, but he's filled many a volume with with sometimes rambling and sometimes even contradictory discourse, but it's always interesting just to sit down and pick this guy's brain a little bit. Um, and maybe that's a good transition. Um, you know, of course, with this week um, being his actual 100th birthday, I think a lot of us were hoping that there would be an announcement or some kind of tease about a Fellini box set. <laughs> it's only Thursday. His birthday yeah. was Monday, so the week isn't totally done yet. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe tomorrow we'll be... <laughs> well, we went through the same thing with Bergman's actual 100th birthday last, was it, 2018. You know, we kind of came and went and nothing happened and so we were kind of wondering if this was just going to fizzle out on us so i i think you have to look at the uh, the calendar as far as uh when is product poised to move rather than you know happy 100th birthday i mean criterion certainly did their share of social media posts and they've got a little collection on the criterion channel right now so they're they're doing their you know their dues but i, I think the product might be a little bit further on down the road Totally, yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of pick your guys' brain around what you think a box set might entail. Um, kind of looking at what are some of the what are the releases Criterion currently has in print, what might be out of print, and then what are ones they've never gotten their hands on, and maybe kind of plucking through what might a box set include, or what might just what might not make sense at all. Um, maybe it'd be kind of fun to talk through his filmography that way. Yeah. So I I would like to go on the record as the uh, box set skeptic of uh, any conversation. Oh. Uh, I do think the newsletter drawing makes a very strong case that I'm probably wrong. Uh, I always am very happy when I am wrong about the box sets. Uh, I was definitely wrong about the Bergman box set. Uh, I just I always tend to be very hesitant about these things. Um, I think that uh, uh, we often, uh, there's a, an element of wish fulfillment sometimes in the box set stuff. And so I do wonder how much of the the Fellini or whatever the box set discussion is, whether it will be a full box set, whether it will be a smaller retrospective, um, whether it will be what it will end up being. I do think Fellini is probably our best bet for a big retrospective, though, because I do think that he is one of the titans of Criterion's art house catalog. He was who Janice kind of made their names with along with Kurosawa and Bergman. So I do think this is probably the most likely of any other director to get a full, the full box set treatment. I, I agree with that. Well, I agree with that. And I, and I definitely hope they are working diligently to secure the rights to as full of a swath of his, you know, his oeuvre as, as possible. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously I'll, I'd be happy with whatever they come up with, but, 
I would have to say at this point I might be disappointed if it's not something somewhat on the scale of the Berkman box set or even going back to the AK-100 Kurosawa box that is out of print now yeah. is DVD only and, and certainly has its limitations as a bare bones set but it's still a very impressive collection and, and, and piece of merchandise if you will and I do have to say that if it does not include Knights of Kiberia I do think that that would be a pretty huge omission uh, in the the catalog because I do think that that is you know, Variety Lights and the White Sheik would be pretty important ones to have as well. Those were out-of-print titles as well. But I do think that Knights of Kiberia is a huge title for Fellini. It's also a huge title for Messina. Uh, and I think that the, that is that is that would be kind of an unforgivable omission. Uh, some of the, the later ones that are with other distributors are ones that I can see them potentially forgoing in the inclusion of if the rights are too difficult to have i could see them not having the clowns or casanova or fred and ginger i can see some of those later films maybe not making the cut uh because of rights because of just a lot of the other intricacies and in putting something like this together but i do think that knights of kiberia especially is a film that you just you have to include that in a retrospective like this. Yeah, Stephen, I think you did actually a really nice job in our show notes. I don't know if that's going to make it onto the website or not, but just in terms of kind of your different categories, maybe you could just walk us through that. Yeah, yeah um, so I kind of I overthink everything, so I sort of bucketed out <laughs> filmography into different categories. What I think is a pretty sure thing, what's like realistic, what's possible what's possible for like past out of print movies what doesn't have a domestic blu-ray yet and then what's kind of a stretch where if there's blu-rays from other distributors the ones that i feel like slam dunk have to be in there are the current in print criterion releases so those include evita loni Strada, both of which are dvd only so those would be upgrades la dolce vita eight and a half which both have blu-ray Juliet of the Spirits, which is also DVD only. Then Fellini Satyricon, Roma, Amarcord, which all have Blu-rays. And then In the Ship Sails On, which is currently DVD only. Um, I forget if I mentioned it earlier, but all, literally all of Fellini's movies are getting 4K restorations this year. And so at the very minimum, I would think that these DVD only titles would be getting upgrades. Hopefully the Blu-ray ones also, but the Blu-rays already look terrific. So I'm I sort of see that as less of a gain if it gets upgraded, but of course I'll take it if it does. Um, yeah. Well, and 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 the a box that would be it would feel quite inadequate if it just didn't have La Dolce Vita and oh, eight totally. and a half in it, you know. Yes. <laughs> as, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, even though it'd be like a triple dip for me on both of those films, I've also got the DVD and Blu-ray versions of them. I still want to see them in a in a comprehensive box set. Um, yeah, I was just watching La Dolce Vita last night. That's a it's a beautiful 4K restoration. I don't know how it could look any better. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think those are almost like no brainers. They're, they're going to have to be there. But I think these next categories is where we can get into a little bit of debate. Um, I watched Il Bidone a couple nights ago as well. That was one of those 50s, uh, what you might call prime era. I think that was b- between La Strada and uh, Knights of Cabiria. 
I really liked that. That was very, very fascinating. It's I can understand maybe why it might be seen as a little bit lesser Fellini, but it's this kind of exploration of a film noir crime film, which is kind of a, you know not not territory that he's known for. And it's a it's a short film, ninety minutes. It's on the Criterion Channel. A nice little gap filler for me. But I, I and Juliet, Julietta Messina is in it. Uh, she's not really the star, but she plays a significant role. But uh, that's one that I really feel like, yeah, and it's a Janus film release as well. So that one should be there as well as uh, either Spirits of the Dead or the, at least the Toby Dammit episode. But I'd like to see the whole Spirits of the Dead if they could swing that. Um, I could see them also just going with the the segment. Uh, Spirits of the Dead is a kind of an anthology film with, uh, was it Roger Vadim and Louis Mal? Those were the other two directors on that one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I would I would assume that since they have the segment broken out on the Criterion channel, and it seems that they have done that in a number of other cases where they've had uh, segments from anthologies included as shorts or as features on discs it makes me think that they might only include the segment that is relevant so uh, yeah. it makes me think that they might break toby dammit out and not include the entire anthology on as a disc which i think is unfortunate because i do like you david i really like being able to see these these works in their their original context but uh yeah i think that both of those would if they're going to do a full box would definitely have to be included in the full set. Yeah. And Toby Dammit does work as a standalone short subject film. So yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, you know, a, a terrible loss, but you always hope for <laughs> the most possible, <laughs> but this next category, Stephen, maybe you want to walk us through that. That's what's possible in terms of Fleeney as a screenwriter. Um, you know, there's a few titles there that, have criterion connections uh flowers of saint francis rome open city and paisa the uh rossellini films um that that might kind of be padding the set out a little bit more than than uh criterion might feel is necessary although i would absolutely be delighted to have a blu-ray upgrade of the flowers of saint francis if that could be yeah. arranged yeah my my almost train of thought with this and I, yeah, I think Rome, Open City, and Paisa might kind of be carried away. But I was thinking of Il Miracolo episode from um, the Rossellini film L'Amore was co-written by Fellini, and he actually is an actor in it as well. And I more thought of it as here's another, here's a here's kind of another distinctive um, example of Fellini as storyteller and then as actor, which is something we very rarely see. Um, and it's as a Janus title that hasn't been released yet. I thought, okay, maybe that'd be an interesting one to include as part of the full sort of Fellini story and how he got to be who he is. Because I almost think it's from 1948 or before even he directed. Um, so it's kind of an interesting stepping stone um, for him. But then when I thought of Flowers of St. Francis, which I could be a stretch if it's a Fellini box set, but that one hasn't gotten a Blu-ray upgrade yet. Um, so yeah, I, of all of them, I think maybe Il Miracolo or L'Amore, possibly, but almost maybe more in like the supplement camp than being like a future spine under Fellini 
because it's a Rossellini film. It should be with Rossellini. Yeah. And if I remember right, isn't Lamore a fairly short film as well? Yeah, it's like sev- 60 or 70 minutes. I think it's very short. Yeah. And then Il, Il Miracolo yeah. is just half of it. Because that's a yeah. two-parter. Yeah. I forget what the first part's called. Yeah. And then kind of my next bucket um, for just out-of-print criterion titles, um, we've got Variety Lights, White Cheek, and Knights of Kiberia. I think we'd all love all three of these to be in a box. Um, and then, of course, White Cheek and Knights of Kiberia. Those are both touring the U.S. right now. White Cheek I got to see um, on Sunday, and I saw Knights of Kiberia should be coming at least to the L- to the Los Angeles area in the springtime. Um are those two coming anywhere near you guys? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, Grand Rapids is no. pretty far off the off the path. I'm afraid to say. Um, what do you think? Uh, how did the White Sheik hold up? I, I mean, you know, when the when Criterion released the White Sheik as a DVD only title, that was, I would say, almost kind of in their lean years, where they were just kind of going off of straight catalog stuff. They really didn't have anywhere near the kind of high-profile alliances with studios and they were a respected brand certainly but it's hard for me to imagine them releasing the white chic as a standalone title today that's just based on my memory of it from reviewing it you know for my blog you know quite a few years ago but how did it stand up for you steven i'm kind of interested in your response to that film uh, especially in a theatrical setting hmm Oh my gosh, I loved it. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, that's great. That's good. Uh, good to hear. Yeah. And it, it was, I was surprised. It was a pretty packed audience. Um, everyone was laughing at the right times. Um, it, oh, it was just a blast. I was I was just looking up the eBay prices of the out-of-print DVD and trying to think, okay, how, mu- how expensive is too expensive where it doesn't make sense to get this if it gets upgraded? But it's too expensive right now, I think. <laughs> Um, really what's it going for as a as a as a second market or 40 which isn't horrible but for a used dvd no i don't know yeah and 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 those are pretty bare bones discs from that era of criterion there's not a whole lot of extra there might be a trailer or something on it i I don't have it in front of me but uh yeah well that's that's great i'm glad he had a positive time i'm glad that that the audience turned out for it as well uh but i do not see criterion breaking this one out as a blu-ray upgrade on its own uh mm-hmm. in this era I, i'll just kind of i'll stick to that opinion but maybe they'll prove me wrong <laughs> um, yeah josh i know you you really like knights of kabiria um variety lights or white cheek are you familiar with i haven't seen either of those i actually do have the uh out of print discs so uh, i will be catching up with them at some point uh, I was just doing a quick search to see who owns the rights to some of these. And it looks like Rialto is doing the touring of White Sheik and Knights of Kiberia right now. And so, uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not Studio Canal. So I do think that the chances of them being able to get the rights back to release them are a little bit higher, actually. So, you know, they they have Knights of Kabir right now on the Criterion channel. And that's actually a pretty... That, that bodes well for the White Sheik and Kabiria getting put back into a box set like this. 
Yeah, I would think some of these other studios who own the rights to those films would would have a legitimately decent payday out of uh, their share of a box set proceeds. Uh, just as I'm sure the you know the rights holders who kind of lent that to lent their uh, that privilege to Criterion for the Bergman set probably moved more units than they would have if they had uh, issued it as a standalone disc. Oh, sure. Um, and then kind of the next bucket um, might be some stretches in here, but um, these were looking at films of Fellini's that have not had domestic Blu-ray releases or their domestic Blu-rays out of print. And those four are um, The Clowns, which was a Raro video, which is now out of print, um, Fellini's Casanova, Ginger and Fred, and then Intervista, um, or Interview, um, which, to be honest, none of these are movies that I've seen, so I don't, I can't speak to if they're good or worthy of Criterion. Um, not sure if you guys have thoughts on these ones. I, I, I have the Clowns Raro Video Blu-ray, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I watched it about a year ago, or whenever, I mean, it was... Yeah, I just decided, well, because I think it's a 1970 or 71 release. I thought, well, even though it's not Criterion related, let me just watch it just to kind of see where Fellini went after Satyricon and before we get to Roma or Amarcord. Um, so, I, but th- that was, it, you know, it's a made for TV production, I believe. And it's, you know, it, it has a little bit of that kind of off the cuff, but it's it's Fellini, you know, seriously looking at, the clowns the circus and and its history and its traditions and i i found it very worthwhile to me it seems like yeah that should be included uh and the fact that it has not had a a u.s or north american blu-ray release um you know see well i know i don't think i the raro video i don't think it's a region free or a region specific disc I don't know. Do those come actually from Italy, or or does Raro have an American distribution arm? It's it's maybe beside the point. I would love to see that one, and and really these titles, I, I don't know much about um, Ginger and Fred or Intervista, but Casanova. I mean that's that's got Donald Sutherland in it. That seems like it would be a worthwhile uh, exploration, and and one that I would certainly like to see them. Yeah, snag. Of course, I, for me, bigger is better. You know, I guess I'll just lay lay my cards on the table. The more, the merrier, right? Um, but that next category is where it gets a little bit more difficult, I suppose. Or Josh, or any of these four ones that you know or would hope to see? I, you know, I would hope to see a lot of these. Uh, you know, I think I do think that these are possible. You know, I I got introduced to some of the the later Fellini films. I haven't seen them, but uh, as I was becoming more intentional about exploring art house films, I remember watching the documentary "My Journey" th- or "My Voyage to Italy." I think the oh, Martin Scorsese, Scorsese documentary. Uh, yeah, and it really helped me kind of understand a little bit more of the context of some Italian cinema that I didn't know and hadn't really understood and explored as much. And it got me really interested in more of Fellini's later period, that and the Fellini documentary, uh, the Fellini I'm a Born Liar. So both of those kind of really gave me a... a, a 
a way to approach some films that I hadn't had a chance to see it and that just were not available when I was really beginning my journey through Fellini. So Casanova, Fred and Ginger, The Clowns, Intervista, those are all ones that are really intriguing to me. And I think there's a high possibility that those could be included. Um, I think that if they're doing a big box set, those are going to be ones that they're going to really seek out. So I think that those are all really possible. And when we look at the next category of things, both of the uh, Arrow Academy films, Orchestra Rehearsal and Voice in the M- of the Moon, are Region B only. So those are ones that I think are oh, pretty are that. pretty good candidates. Yeah, those are pretty good candidates actually for uh, for inclusion in a box set. I think that when we're looking at some of the anthology films, uh, I don't know that those are likely to come, but I do think that Fellini segments might, just like the Toby Dammit segment from Spirits of the Dead might be the only part of that anthology that might get brought over. I do think that the Fellini segment of City of Women might be the only thing that gets brought over. or, I mean, the Fellini, se- the, the Fellini segment from Love in the City might be the only uh, segment that gets brought over. And so I Boccaccio do th- 70, I think, was an anthology yeah. as well, right? Yeah, Yeah. so I do think that, that you know, as we heard on some of the, the, on the podcast with Lee Klein, he talked about how these small distribution companies, they all have really good relationships with each other they all have to have good relationships with each other. And I do think that if Criterion's putting the work in to do a really lavish Fellini box set, I think that pulling in just a segment from a anthology series, I do think that that's a a big possibility. I think it would just be a real delight to see this authoritative, you know, front to back edition. Um, and it's probably redundantly stating the obvious, but, um, to me, that's just, that's the fitting tribute to, to a great man, uh, uh, a superlative artist, one of the, one of the, really the definitive personalities of the 21st or 20th century. So I, I, I do hope uh, and trust that Criterion's, you know, putting everything they've got into making this as as comprehensive and definitive as possible. Um, and I think also kind of with Criterion's role is um, reshaping and helping curate the narrative of cinema in general, putting all of Fellini's works together, particularly the work from the 70s and 80s, which some consider lesser Fellini or not as good as what he did in the 50s and 60s could be a way to help recontextualize those and show no there's value there's artistic merit in these you need all of these to get literally the full Fellini package yeah yeah well and as you were saying David you know it's it's really helpful to see the entire arc of his career and i do think that some of these films that maybe have been dismissed as him going overboard or as him just kind of giving into excess i think that as you look at the scope of his career i have a feeling that that these films are really ripe for reappraisal and uh, i'm i'm really eager to do a chronological dive into his films this way yeah yeah i, I agree I, I feel like if nothing else it'll just provide the context 
uh, you know, even if you don't totally bond with some of those later films or, or they, you know, come across as problematic or, you know, you sort of see evidence of a decline. I, I really feel like Fellini is a, he's a delightful personality. In fact, two episodes that I've done to my podcast where, uh, they're really getting into Fellini's process. Uh, one was directed by Fellini. It's called Fellini, a director's notebook. And then uh, Ciao Federico, directed by Gordon Bachman. I think those are actually really important films for me to forge that connection with Fellini the man, you know, the the, the human mm-hmm. being. Be, because I, I, I really sort of empathized with his struggle, certainly <laughs> his reputation and his... A creative dynamic presence is far beyond anything I'll accomplish in this world. But I, I really found myself uh, liking him on a on a personal level. Uh, again, seeing how much of his heart and soul he put into this, even though he he also retained that that aura of mystery and and uh, there's a bit of an enigma going on there. I, I like that combination <laughs> of a guy who sort of puts himself out on the line, but you know, also retains a little bit of his own, you know, inner world that leaves the rest of us puzzling of, of what's going on there. And so, you know, uh, a nice set that's that's got all the film work or as much of it as possible, uh, some good essays, some interview excerpts, um, you know, some critical perspectives. And then supplements that, that talk about Fellini when he was kind of the phenomena, you know, the... the uh, you know, the master of cinema that uh, was being scrutinized by, you know, critics and the masses. You know, some of the uh, the audition sequences, I think it was in Fleenia uh, Director's Notebook, where he was just doing these random casting calls with just ordinary Joe Schmoes <laughs> from the Italian sticks, you know. Uh, just unbelievable people it was it was kind of like an america's got talent except a little bit more raw and down to earth just people saying notice me (laughs) make me famous you know and uh, this incredible magnetism that his he and his films had of just you know drawing people out of the woodwork who wanted to maybe have a little walk on spot or be part of the these fantastical processions that would inevitably conclude some of his most famous films <laughs> it's just it's just quite a thing to behold and and i i i really enjoyed uh tapping into the energy that that his his cinematic work you know kind of conjured up um he put dreams on film and and gave a lot of people a chance to participate in this vision of life and uh i i really love him for that that was very well said i like that Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, it's like you've been doing this for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was going to say also, um, you know, if you are listeners, if you'd like to dive into more um, Fellini thoughts and um, deeper dive into specific films, um, like David mentioned, he's blogged and podcasted. It looks like about every single Criterion one. So there's a lot more to dive into. Um, you can get more of David's great insights on those. Um, so thank you for sharing them, David. Oh, sure. My pleasure. And yeah, yeah. Read my old posts. I mean, some of them I haven't read <laughs> since I wrote them, but, but they <laughs> at least give you my, you know, takes on Fellini as I kind of grew in my acquaintance with his work over the years. 
um well thank you guys so much it's been a fun discussion um gets me even more excited for the possibilities of what a Fellini 100 could be or even if it's not a box at least we know there's good upgrades hopefully coming on the way um i want to thank you both so much for your time and sharing your insights and perspectives on your experience with Fellini. um want to kind of give a shout out um if you wanted to throw out where can people find or follow you your shows um on the social medias and all that well, you know, Josh and I are both on Criterion Cast now. Uh, we each have our own programs. Uh, we talk to each other. We've been on each other's <laughs> programs now. So uh, we're not exactly a unit, but we're on the same team. So, uh, yeah, Criterion Reflections is my podcast. You can just do a search in your podcast feeder of choice, and it should pop up there. And uh, like I say, yeah, we are, we're going through 1971 right now, so I've got... Uh, Louis Mal's Murmur of the Heart coming up pretty soon, and also a special episode on Get Carter, another Criterion Channel exclusive. I'll be recording that this coming weekend, and uh, we'll be getting into some really fantastic titles. Uh, oh, Harold and Maud, uh, a bunch of others, uh, but that's what I got coming up in the in the weeks and months ahead as we you know, ponder Criterion's releases of 1971. Yeah, and you can find Criterion Channel Surfing at Criterion Cast as well. And you can find the show also in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your show. We just migrated over from the 25th frame to Criterion Cast. So if you had been following the show on uh, other kind of third party podcast services, you might need to search for it again. Uh, we've been slowly working on updating the feeds and trying to make sure that everything is migrated over and redirected properly but uh, the redirection is always a little bit of a challenge so uh, do uh, let us know at uh, any of the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or you can reach out uh, to me at uh, any of the Criterion Facebook groups and uh, uh, I'll be more than happy to make sure that you get the feed properly so that you can keep up with all the latest episodes as well thank you guys both again um this has been a great episode um is there any final thoughts um you like to share about fellini or anything italian film no i, I appreciate the invitation to be on your show Stephen. it's been a lot of fun and uh i'll definitely look to get you on whenever we're ready to reach into roma or whatever else i got i i know i've got some other italian films that, but i definitely appreciate your passion for cinema italiano and look forward to future collaborations and conversations yeah I, this was a lot of fun and i'm very eager to uh, uh chat with you again about more italian cinema so this is a this is a great conversation thank you both very much and until next time Ciao, amici.